Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Masters of Theology podcast. My name is Jacob. By way of introduction, I'm a Masters of Theology student at Dallas Theological Seminary. This podcast was born from my desire to have more conversations with theologians. You can find more information about the podcast at mastersoftheology.com. In future episodes, we'll be releasing our conversations with video, and we expect to improve our recording quality over time. Today's conversation is with David Milhouse, a friend of mine and fellow THM student at DTS. As you'll hear in our conversation, David is a passionate, missionary-minded student who has the heart and will to go wherever God sends him. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with David Milhouse. What would you say it takes to become a master of theology? I would say... That's a good question. Um, see, this is different from, am I a master of theology? It is. It is different. I, what does it take to become a master of theology? I, I think becoming a master of theology would be having a mastery of the topic. I've, I mean, I, I would assume that's where the term master like comes from of yeah. having a mastery of the of the subject, and so I think having a good understanding and knowledge of theology would probably make you a master of theology. Hmm. Um, I guess to what extent having a good understanding and knowledge of the topic, yeah, uh, can be debated. But yeah, I, it's an especially tricky question, uh, just because theology is actually not. It's not the easiest thing to define either. Um, so I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to pull out of you. What, what would you even define theology as? Oh, well, okay. I, I mean, I would break it down um, based off of the word, right? So mm-hmm. theos comes from God. Yeah. And logos comes from, or logi comes from logos and knowledge, right? And so... I think it would be the knowledge of God. And I think that's that's the goal of theology, right? We're always trying to have a better understanding of God. Now, sometimes that takes the aspect of learning more about the Bible or about how God interacts with us mm-hmm. um, or, or just understanding um, church world history and understanding God's church. But it, but it all boils down to having a better understanding of God, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, so you're in the THM program, right? Yeah. So what brought you to study theology? Um, what brought me to study theology? I think the fact that, well, there's a t- two, two aspects. The first one being um, the diploma at the end gives you credibility. Yes. Right? Um, and lets people know that you know stuff. You're committed to it. You've spent time. You, yeah. You've done your, yeah, paid your dues, all of that. Exactly. I didn't realize it would be four years, but, you know. Um, <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> yeah, right. The second aspect, I would say, is um, just gaining a, a better understanding. I, when I first came to DTS to study theology, it kind of seemed like a box that I needed to check, and COVID happen and so it just seemed like a good well take a step step back from doing ministry and just study you know and and learn I think now that I'm here now that I'm done with my first year um, I'm realizing just 
how much I have to learn. And I, I still stand by the fact that it is possible to learn all of these things outside of seminary, yeah. um, especially with technology. There's podcasts with professors, mm. you know, like lots of videos explaining the topics and stuff. Um, but, but there's just something about learning from these wise professors that are here, yeah. you know, that have been around for a long time. And and I feel like every every day, every class period, like I'm always just astounded by their level of wisdom and knowledge. And so just being able to to grasp that and gain like a little bit of that, I think is, is super helpful. Yeah. Yeah, there is something tangible about listening to the those wise individuals in person. There's something tangible about being there face-to-face, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, you can watch, you know, like videos of great theologians um, and, and learn amazing things from them, but I think it's, there's a level of dedication to seminary, right? Yeah. And, and it's kind of like, you look at Jesus, you look at the disciples, right? The disciples spent a lot of time with Jesus, right? And I think that's part of the thing. Like, I can dedicate some time to watching videos on YouTube or like doing research on theological topics, but seminary is like a whole new level of commitment Yeah, and just spending all the hours that we spend within a semester with that one professor, like learning from them, hearing from them. Um, Dr. John Hanna's great example, right? Like you just have a whole section on the side where you just quotes of wisdom from Hannah that have nothing to do with (laughs) the class itself. But I think, you know, and, and so I think, Maybe that's the difference, right? right? Maybe that level of time and dedication is the difference between actually pursuing like a master's of theology and just like studying theology outside of sort of formal schooling, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I guess to what extent are you finding that the relationships that you're building here, maybe with the professors or with other students, do you think that that will be something essential in, in your future? Is that is that forwarding um, your, your pursuit of mastery? Yeah, I think so. I think it's hard with the professors. I'm still early, you know, we're still early in the program, and yeah. so it's it's hard. They still feel like they're, you know, like a level above, like unattainable. I think, you know? Yeah, that'll always be the case. <laughs> yeah, that might always be the case. But, but you hear the students that are further along in the yeah. program talk about the professors, like, you know, they have uh, – a relationship with them, an ongoing relationship right. with them of discipleship, mentorship. You know, they're they're constantly like learning from them, and I feel like I'm maybe starting to scratch the surface on that with some professors. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the students more so because I look around at the students that I'm in these classes with, you know, shoulder to shoulder with, and I see the theologians of tomorrow, and not just the theologians, but see the movement leaders those yeah. who will take the christian faith the missionaries and the church planters exactly. and, yeah absolutely and, and i want to stay connected with those people because mm-hmm. i want to help them in their ministry and i think it's important that we continue to learn from each other yeah. once we're outside right because yeah it's one thing what we learn while we're here in seminary in an enclosed like environment but once you get out into the world, right, and are doing ministry out in the world, I think it's really important that we continue to act as a system of support and guidance for each mm-hmm. other, you know, because you're going to encounter things that seminary can never prepare you for, yeah. can never teach you for. And I think it's important to have wise counsel in our life. And so I think having fellow Christians that um, 
are also going through ministry, um, are also furthering their studies, I think all of those people can can help you, you know, yeah. overcome and and um, and they can help you think about the problems differently and and hopefully overcome them. Yeah, kind of related to that, um, in, in what you said there, there's an element of just in wanting to further the other students' missions because we're all here at least well, I'd say most of us are here for a specific purpose, for some sort of calling, and we might not know where that's going to lead us, but at the same time, we you know, we have a reason for being in seminary. Like, we have a reason for, for, for trying to pursue theological training, uh, be that certification or, or otherwise, you're trying to get that in order to you know, do more ministry. And so what I see in all the other students, and, and kind of like what you said, is I see, well, they have a mission, they have a mission, they have a mission, and... Their missions are you know, no less important than, than my missions. And so to the extent that you know, I can build relationships with them and help them along without sacrificing my own mission you know, entirely, like that's, that's exactly what, like that's a wonderful deal. And I think that that's a big benefit of, of being in person as well because you do get those shoulder-to-shoulder classroom interactions. So we talked a little bit about the definition of theology, but a related question I'd like to ask you is are you actually trying or yeah, are you pursuing mastery of theology? Is that something that actually interests you at any point in your life? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think you ever will be able to fully master theology. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, there's the answer. There's there's the answer. <laughs> um, yeah, we talked about this a little bit before, but I think like yeah, I don't think it's possible to fully, you know, master theology because if Theology is the understanding of God, right? There is a level of God that is unknowable, ununderstandable to us. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God, right? Yeah. If I can fully comprehend God, then he wouldn't be great enough, you know, to be yeah. God. And so, yes, I, I want to pursue gaining a better understanding and a better mastery of theology. Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, I think that's part of the Christian calling, right? You know, we... As Dr. John Hanna said, you know, we read the Bible and study the Bible to know what's not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's part of it, right? We're, the world's becoming a, a crazy place. Um, yeah. Interesting things are going on all over the place. And, and everyone has a moral compass. Everyone has an understanding of what is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And... So much of it sounds so close to biblical truth mm. that I'm at the point where I'm like, dude, Bible is my like true compass, right? Like I need to read this thing so I know like if they're wrong or right because I believe that this is the ultimate truth. And yeah. so, you know, I and I think that's that's part of it. And I think every Christian should be pursuing that, right? Yeah. Like I look at my grandparents. They had such a great like understanding and mastery of the Bible. And I think like on, on both sides. And I think that's part of it, right? And I think we're maybe losing that with our generation a little bit, you know? Um, but I think that's what every Christian should strive for, you yeah. know, to better know God. Yeah, I like that you mentioned maybe we're, we're losing some of that emphasis on the Bible. I'm sure that that has been the case at various points in history. Um, but w- one thing that comes to mind is um, in, in church history, when we've had such a 
modernist and postmodernist emphasis on teaching the Bible. We've you know, deliteralized it, and there's been a, a resurgence in evangelicalism, which has kind of set it up to a very high standard. Um, I like what you said about it because it 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 bypasses so many of the problems that I that I hear with holding the Bible to such a high standard. You said it's a, a basically a personal compass, like it's what you really believe. It's for yourself. You're not trying to hold it up to let's say non-believers and say like you need to follow us. You're you're taking the Bible and applying it to yourself, which I mean that's irrefutable. That that's the way to go. Um, I love that. How um. How seriously do you take that? Do you study the Bible with that intent? Yeah, I think so. I think it depends. You know, you go through various phases. Mm. You know, there are some phases where I just enjoy reading the Bible like a story. Yeah. Um, because I, I like reading storybooks, you know? Yeah, that's a really neat like side note as well. The Bible is actually good literature you know it's like actually a great story well and if you just read it through right like yeah. part of part of what i've been learning in seminary this semester right mm. is everything builds off of everything previous right so every author expects that you've read what's come previously yeah. right so if you just pick up you know i know we we say this with a lot of people when they you know first come to christ like oh well read the gospels right like Know about John. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Read John, right? Like, that makes sense. Right. Like, read, read the Gospels. And that's true. That's great, right? Because you need to know about Jesus. That's yeah. what we're preaching. What Jesus said, who he claimed to be, right? And that's, you'll find that all in the Gospels, New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, Old Testament talks about that too, right? And so I think, like, that's one of the things, like, lately, last year I went through, like, started in Genesis and just started reading right and the thing is like you start to pick up on things because it builds off of itself and and i so i think there's that aspect but i think there's also an aspect of like studying and learning right and and carefully evaluating and that's one of the big reasons like i wanted to come to seminary i want to be able to read the bible in the original languages Mm. right because i'm bilingual i understand that with translation there is compromise right and so if you can read the Bible in the original languages and, and understand, then you can actually study the language structure, right? You can you can study how Paul is moving the the text, right? Moving his argument. And I think we get that in English translations, right? After uh, careful study in exegesis, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think there's something to be said about being able to do it in the original language. Yeah. And so yeah, that's part of it. That's why I'm here is to add tools to my tool belt mm. so that I can better study the Bible and yeah. gain a better practical understanding, right? And I, I, you know, like before I could do that in English, right? Mm. Like I did that in Bible studies, right? Small groups, you know, that's what you do. And you and you listen to, to pastors and, and speakers who maybe know the original languages, maybe don't, but they have wisdom, right? And yeah. and can give you a better understanding of the context. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think there's different ways to look at the Bible and, and to read it. And I think both are equally important. Mm. You know, one's, one is kind of like a, a broad sense. It's like looking at a map, right? Like you can look at a map and have, have a good understanding of like where the countries are, right? But if you never like zoom in and like see, oh, like this is 
this is the the capital of this city. You know, like yeah. you can say, yeah, I know about that country, but do you really know that country if you don't like zoom in and actually like yeah. take a look at that specific country? Or, yeah, put your feet on the ground. And, yeah. yeah, walk around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get that. So you mentioned your your bilingual. Uh, yeah. I know a little bit because we're, yeah. we're we're friends. Um, but tell me more about your past and what has brought you to uh, trying to get more tools for your tool belt. Yeah. So my parents are missionaries. I grew up as a missionary kid. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad actually graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary in 1994. I was born in 1994. They immediately moved to the country of Romania. Mm. And um, that was normal for me. Like, I grew up there. We, we lived there until I was 17, 18. We moved back in 2013. Mm-hmm. No, 2012. And so, um, yeah, that's a little bit about my background. My dad was yeah. a church planner there, a pastor. Um, so I grew up being a missionary kid, a pastor's kid, and a third culture kid. And a third culture kid is just a kid that their parents are from one culture, but they grew up in a different culture. And so they're kind of in between the two cultures. At some points, I felt like a Romanian. At some points, I felt like an American. Yeah. I never quite felt like I was fully one or the other, or like I completely fit in in either place. And so... Um, yeah, so that's that's a little bit about my heritage, I guess, yeah. of um, being here. Then went to college in the U.S. My parents are now missionaries in Budapest, Hungary. Mm-hmm. Um, went to college in Minnesota, did my undergrad in organizational communication and leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, enjoyed that. Worked in the professional world for a little while. Um, did some ministry experience with Crew. Mm-hmm. Um, used to be known as Campus Crusade for Christ. And then COVID hit. Yeah, I want to pursue missions further, um, especially international missions because of the way I grew up. Yeah, have a lot of experience in that field. COVID made it hard to do that in a practical sense. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So it just seemed like a good time to step back um, and transition into this. I was also hearing from a lot of wise people in my life that I should probably pursue going to seminary. Yeah. Um, my father being one of them. Yeah. Um, did not say Dallas Theological Seminary. I did not want to go to Dallas Theological Seminary because my father went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, but the program was just the right thing. Right. And it just made sense to come here. Yeah. So. yeah especially if you want original languages, it's hard to it's hard to beat that with a, a fully rounded well, and they have the last year free program right. going on right now. Um, so financially, that just makes yes. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So ostensibly, and I use that word very intentionally. You're following your father's footsteps. Yeah, but yeah. I know that that is not the case. So explain to me, explain to me your passion for overseas missions and and why why you're pursuing it really. Um, I think. So I have a passion for the lost, right? I think to some extent, you look around and you see people who don't believe. Well, okay, boil it down more essentially, I think, you know, like what is the purpose of life, right? Okay. And I think, you know, when you look around, there's a couple different options of, you know, either it's all an accident, we're just supposed to be as happy as we can make ourselves while we're here, our goal is to reproduce and further the human race, you know? Um, Or if you believe in 
God. I mean, there's a lot of different options. But for me, right, like yeah. I believe in God and I believe that the goal is to glorify him, right? And it's kind of the sense, this is probably a poor analogy, but I've heard this before, right? If you're on a boat that's sinking, you know, and you see the lifeboat and you're on the lifeboat, do you just paddle off and leave or do you try and save more people, right? Mm-hmm. And I think so many times in the Christian community, there is a sense of, I mean, the pilgrims did this, Puritans did this, right? Like, let's be a city on a hill, let's remove ourselves and be a good example, yeah. but not actually be in the world with people. And I think when you look at Jesus and the way he lived his life, he was actually in the world with people, right? Like, he yeah. suffered with, he suffered for us, right? He did not experience suffering and then came to earth and experienced suffering for us, right? Like, if that's not a great example of, like, being in the world with people, I don't know what is. And so because of that, you know, I look around at my friends that are not Christians, um, and I see people that um, are lost, um, that are hurting. I, I see some satisfaction, right? Joy in life, I don't think that's. But but it seems like there there's a loss of, like, a higher, a higher calling, right? Yeah. You know, and and so, in a sense, like I look around, uh, movie Sixth Sense, right? Like I look around and I see dead people, you know, and so for me, like that's something that pushes me. If like if we've got this good news, how would we not want to share that with right. with everyone? Right, Pen Pendulette, do you know Pendulette is? I don't actually. So have you heard of Penn and Teller? Sure, absolutely. Okay, okay. so Penn is the the tall guy. Yeah staunch atheist, right? Yeah. Like, very, very stark atheist. He even said, he goes, in my eyes, I don't understand, if you were a Christian, right, like, how you could not proselytize. Mm-hmm. He's like, because if you think that you have the key to eternal life, right. Right, why would you not want to share that with everyone, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And so, in a sense, I think that's part of it. So, I have a heart for people and, and want to share the good news with people. Yeah. With the Middle East, mm-hmm. because of the way I grew up, I've seen... People, you know, it's hard to cross cultures. It's hard to go into a culture that you've never experienced before. There's culture shock, stuff like that. Because of the way I grew up, it's a lot easier for me. Right. And I enjoy living in different cultures and feel at home in different cultures, sometimes more so than in the U.S. And so because of that, I feel like my giftings are more applicable overseas and so because of that i want to do ministry yeah overseas i think that's a really good recognition of where you've been what gifts that is that is granted you and i mean it's it's an intellectually honest thing to say we have eternal life so let's share it and and that's something i i resonate with a lot i think about my own path to seminary and it's not so much a dramatic like okay i need to go serve these people you know specifically it's not some specific big calling it's more like oh i do have i have the gift of eternal life i know the answer to life like how can i not dedicate my whole life to sharing that in some way and so i'm going to get equipped here to do that better because that makes sense to spend a few years you know investment wise for the rest of my life to be able to be you know to have those tools so Exactly. And I think, yeah, I think realistically, like from what I've heard, right, you don't really hit your stride in ministry until you're in like your 50s, you know, like, yeah, maybe 40s, 60s. And so like, that's part of the thing, like, I'm learning in 
It's that tension, right? That balance between the sense of urgency, right? right? Of like, I could die tomorrow mm-hmm. and I want to use my life for something, but also trusting in God and trusting, hey, I feel like this is what you've called me to do. You've called me to be here, to learn, um, to be equipped, and then to go out and, and use the tools that I've gained here. And so I think it's important to hold both of those in balance. Um, and it's a fine line to walk. It is. It is. And you, you never sacrifice one entirely for the other, of course. And that's why it's a fine line. It's it's a fundamentally, um, it's basically an economics problem. You know, you've got a supply curve and you've got a demand curve. And you've got to find where that sweet spot is. So, yeah, I relate to that a lot. And another thing I relate to is overthinking that problem. <laughs> Um, you can waste a lot of time trying to figure out exactly, you know, where the where the right point is when getting close is is pretty good. But uh, what's your emphasis area here? Then are you are you have you decided yet? Have you looked into it? I don't know yet. Okay. Um, I so I would say I have some experience in international missions already. So I'm leaning towards trying to take as many counseling electives as okay. I can. Um, one of the things I've learned is that we, as people, are messed up, right? And in ministry, I've come across people that I, it gets to a point where I'm like, I don't know how to help you yes. anymore. Oh, right? yes. Oh. And so if I can gain tools here to better be able to help people, not, yeah. not to, like, I'm not going to become a Christian counselor, right? But Well, to, in any ministry, that's going to come up. Yeah, exactly. And so at least to be able to take them further or or to have a better understanding of, like, is this something you should go see mm-hmm. a counselor for or is this something that, you know, I can walk with you through, yeah. right? And I just I don't have any training in that, so I don't yeah. know. So I would like to try and take advantage of the great courses here, mm-hmm. great program. And here. we really do have a good, great counseling program. I, I have a close friend who just graduated from it and... Know, high marks. It's a wonderful program. Yeah. Have you taken the first uh, class, the pastoral counseling yet? I have not. Okay, you'll learn a lot more from that, and yeah, see. Is that mandatory or is that? Uh, uh, there's a man. Yeah, there's one okay. in the THM program that's required. Um, it's it's a good class. It it kind of talks to the point you were talking about. When is the right moment? You know, when what general policies should we have around counseling, and when should we refer out, and when should we? Yeah, what can we do to help? So. Uh, general principles that's exactly what that tra- class uh, tries to answer so that's that's great um, what's been your favorite class so far then or top three? Ooh. Um, okay I've loved Greek yeah partially because of the professor uh, um, and who do you have Dr. Smith mm-hmm. um, Dr. J. Smith he's awesome I think so part of the thing is like he, he teaches Greek but you have him, so we have him for Greek 1 and 2. Yeah. Right? You keep the same professor. Yeah, it's the first half and the second half of introductory. Which, introductory. Yeah, which is great. It yeah. also means I've, the one professor I've had for two semesters right. already. Right. So you're getting to know him better. Yep, and he warmed up to us in the second semester a little bit, he said. But I think part of it is, like, he'll go on rants, and, and he doesn't just teach Greek. He teaches Christian life, mm. you know? And I think that's part of it of when he just gets fed up with what he sees in the world. And from a point of honesty, he just, you know, spews his heart for the lost, for the gospel, right? Yeah. And and for truth and knowledge, right? He's doctor, like, you know, studies Greek, knows Greek really, really well. And his passion is understanding the Bible 
specifically Paul's letters and the driving, like how Paul drives um, his message through, you know, and understanding that. And I think part of that is a recognition of, of wanting to understand truth on his part. And so, yeah, by far, he, he's been an awesome professor. I, I think I've had a lot of good professors, though, here. Like, every single one, you know, like, I take a class, and I'm like, oh, those professors were all so great. You know, I learned so much from them. Yeah. And then I take the next set of classes, and I'm like, man, you know, I, I thought it didn't get better, but right. it just keeps getting better. <laughs> and so I wonder if part of it's just, you know, I'm growing in understanding, and so I'm able to better understand, like, all of the wisdom they have to teach. Wow. Um, I, I don't know, but, yeah, I'm loving it. It's hard to pick favorites. Um, yeah. Lots, lots of good things all around. I could definitely relate to that. I think I could probably come up with a set of favorite classes, but at the same time, I think all my classes here, you know, maybe, I hate to say, maybe bar one or two, um, but, I mean, it's honest. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed and gotten a lot out of, and, yeah, I think it's been very good for me. So um, so you, you said a lot of this is for credentials for you, but, yeah. um, and you've, talking, talk, you've spoken a little bit to this point, but how much have you grown towards really appreciating the teaching here and really appreciating the change that is going on in you? I think I really started to appreciate it about halfway through the first semester. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, because if you're going through and you're like, okay, going through the motions, got to right. do this, you know, get the diploma at the end, you know. And, yeah. And, and it wasn't until, yeah, like halfway through I started to be like, man, they're talking about stuff I, I hadn't even thought of, right? Like I hadn't even, even. know the right questions. Yeah. yeah. I, like they're asking questions that, oh, you yeah. know, I never would have thought the question to, much less the answer to. And so I think that's when I really came to realize just how not behind I was, but, you know, and also, like, I'm sitting next to students that, like, high caliber of students, right? <laughs> like, I'm sitting next to people that I'm like, you're smart and you're going places, and <laughs> it's just an honor to be in class with oh, you, man, you yeah. know? And so I think that's part of it of, like, I don't – there are some points where, like, I don't feel worthy to be in these classes, learning from mm. these professors, learning next to these fellow students, you know. Um, and I think that's that's good. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think I was humbled. Yeah, right? it's humbling, but you you also take it as an honor, as a privilege. Yeah. Well, and I I think that element of of being humbled is what got me to really appreciate like coming here and learning, you right. know, because before I was like. Well, I can learn all this stuff on my own. Yeah, like, I can go read Grudem's Systematic Theology. And yeah, I don't, I don't need these professors, right? But then you come and you interact with these your professors and you're like, no, I never would have done this on my own. One, right, out of lack of time and will, yeah. right? Yeah. And two, man, just like it's so much easier to just learn it from these amazing professors who have been teaching it, you know, and yeah. like can just explain it in a simple way that like makes so much sense. Um. So, yeah, I, I have a deep appreciation for the process of being here. Still frustrates me sometimes, right? Like, still am like, I want to get out on the mission field as soon yeah. as possible, right? And I think, like we said, it's that balance, that that beam that you want to walk, right? Um, and Might so be I th- a good tension to have, though. Yeah, and I think I think that's something I don't want to forget, yeah. right? Like, and, I, and I'm trying to hold on to it, but now, now I'm more even, I'd say. Yeah. Whereas before, I was like, nah, get in, get out, right? And now I'm more like, okay, get in, soak up everything, make sure to get out, yep. right? So, 
Yeah, that's a great mindset. I, I've had a conversation where um, we kind of talked about how seminary can be a, a sucking in thing and be a little impractical and you never really get out of that mode. And, you know, that can be, I think that really could could be harmful for some Christians, but I, I love the, the mindset of get in, you know, absolutely soak it in, learn everything you can, but but make sure to use that, you know, in, in, in your later life in the missions field. So, that, well, and I think one of the other dangers that I've seen, right, is like we're interacting at such like a high caliber, right? Like we're talking like idea wise and language wise. And yeah, one of my first classes was church world history, mm-hmm. right? And we're like two, three weeks in and somebody asks a question about, is this a Christophany? Ah. And and they go off and they're talking about Christophanies, right? And finally, I raise my hand and I'm like, what's that? What on earth is a Christophany? And the teacher's like, thank you for asking that question. Half the class was probably thinking that question. Yeah. This, it's, you know, a, a an illustration of Christ, right? A representation right. of Christ, right? Um, and so I think, like, there's a danger, and I've talked about this with other friends here, you know, I think there's a danger that when we get out in the real world that we will still be operating at that high level and won't bring it down to people, right? I think it's important that we should never forget the simplicity, right? And and I think it's also really easy when we're here to be like, oh, we're we're operating on this high level, you know, like we're the elites of Christianity, you know, and I I don't want that. And and I think that's something that I need to constantly remind myself of is, you know, if I were to explain this to someone who does not, you know, like, who never went to seminary, who doesn't know, right? Someone who just became a Christian. Yeah. How would I explain this to someone? And in my everyday life, am I using the super complicated terminology, right, that that expresses things well? Mm-hmm. But am I using that with people outside of seminary as yeah. well? And Am I making them feel incompetent through that? Am I making it complicated for them? And am I, in a sense, not loving them well through doing that? You know, and so I think it's important that we remember that and remember to, even though we are thinking at a high level, I I think that's one of the beauties of the gospel, right? It's so crazy and beyond understanding that we can study it for years. The human human race can can study it and study it and study it, and we still can't fully comprehend it. Yeah. But it's so simple that you can explain it to a kid, and the kid understands. It makes some sense, yeah. Right? And I think that's, like, that sweet spot huh. is what we need to focus on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In, um, so Dr. Kreider and Spiegel uh, Table Talk is what they call it. It's a practical primer to... Theology, um, they talk about this concept of there's different levels of theologians and theology. You know, we're all theologians, but there's you know, the, the highest level, the academic, and they they write these big tomes that professional theologians might read, you know, which is kind of the level below them, perhaps seminary professors and such, maybe on either or both of those levels. And then there's the pastoral theologian, and then there's, um, there might be one other level, but there's lay below that, um, and folk. I think it's pastoral lay folk, so there might be a... I forget exactly, but anyways, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? The, there's different levels, and I've been I've been wrestling with this idea of, is it actually possible to occupy, you know, most or all of those levels simultaneously? You know, can one person really understand theology and express it at, at all of those levels? Is that is that the pastor's job? 
because in their framework, the pastor's job doesn't ever go up to the academic level. You know, they might read the professional theologians, which are kind of succinct summaries and explanations of what is developed, if you will, in the academic level. You know, I have interests <laughs> in every level, but yeah, I don't know. What is your thought about that? Are you comfortable working in that framework or would you rather break it? I think it depends. I think there's a difference between just pure interaction and like preaching, right? Mm -hmm. I think that a pastor's job when they're preaching is to understand their congregation, understand the level of their congregation, and be able to deliver their sermon in a way that their congregation understands it, right? And that gets complicated if you have various levels. If you have all of those levels in your congregation, this is the case with my dad, right? He pastored an international church. He's got visitors coming in, right? He's got people that, like, may, English isn't their first language, right? Yeah. And then he's also got people that are, like, strong theologians, like, in ministry, you know, and, you know, could preach, which is great because he's got people he can rely on. But you all, you know, like you want to hit all of those levels. And so I think you can, right? I think you can put into a sermon, like, something that is in there for everyone. Um, I I want to say that part of it, like, might come down to relying on God and the Holy Spirit, mm. you know, to um, penetrate the hearts. Reveal and illumine. Yeah, and yeah. I, think, I think, you know, sometimes even the most brilliant minds, and, and especially the most brilliant minds, can can be just in awe of the simplest things, right? Mm. And I think that's something to remember as well, you know? And I think jargon, right, lingo, like fancy language, I think it's important that if you are using those to explain those, because then you'll hit both, you know, people who understand what it means will understand what it means, but then people who don't understand what it means are caught up, Yeah, you know? Um, but, but then there's everyday life, and I think in everyday life it's a lot easier to, to hit because we're able to pivot more and adapt more depending yeah. on who we're interacting with. Um, so that's kind of what you're saying, right? It, it depends on who we're talking to, and the ultimate goal is to help whoever you're talking to understand you know, the yeah. concepts that you're talking about. Whatever level of language that might be at, however long it might take, the ultimate goal is to speak to your audience. Yeah, and I think my, like my primary hesitancy would be that simpler is Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. Um, there's certainly times in academic circles and, and elsewhere where the even the people using the jargon don't get it. Things become obfuscated. Right? Oh, I, I feel like I've heard examples of that happening in real life before where yes. someone uses a term and it's like, oh, well, I've got an example of that. I thought that... Um, what? What's what's the word that means if something happens one after the other? Consecutively. Is it consecutive? I mean, that is a word that means that. There, there was a word that that's what it meant, <laughs> and I thought that it meant happened at the same time. Oh, concurrently. Maybe. So I like I mixed those two up. Right? Yeah. So I was using okay, I gotcha. one as if. Oh, they happen one after, the, or I was using it as if they happened at the same time. Uh-huh. When really they happen, it means happen one after the other, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And or sequentially, or yeah, whichever, yeah, yeah. And so, and you're using a word which you could just say, "Oh, it happened one after the other," but yet you're using yeah, well, a bigger I, word for it. Yeah, and I, I, I just 
didn't know. I thought yeah. I understood the, the meaning of the word. Part of it is, like, a lot of my vocabulary comes from reading books, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And sometimes, like that too, you mispronounce things when you're reading it in your mind, right? Yeah. Like, you misunderstand what's happening when you're reading it in your mind, yeah. you know? Because we so, learn definitions from context so often. Yeah. And so if we don't, yeah. Oh, man, that must be especially hard in a third culture context. Uh, where yeah. idioms and stuff might not carry over in both cultures. and Yeah, I remember when I was doing homework in Romanian, and I went to my dad with, because my dad already spoke Romanian, right? And I went to my dad with a question, and he handed me a dictionary, and he said, I don't know, you're going to have to look it up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. Oh, I have, I have surpassed. And so growing up. Was it a Romanian to English dictionary, or, or what was it? It, was, it had both. Okay. And, and then what I ended up getting was this big, giant book called the Dex, which is Ooh. just like an American dictionary, but in Romanian, right? Yeah. So the words in Romanian. I thought I thought it was so interesting when I was a kid, right? Like, okay, so the words in Romanian, but then the definitions in Romanian, too. Okay. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, because there came a point where I surpassed my parents on my level of, like, Romanian, because we were working yeah. in Romanian. Everything yeah. was... Yeah, I went to public Romanian school first through eighth grade. So, wow. so has there ever been a, a concept in theology? Maybe it was back when you were uh, living in Romania. Has there been just some idea about God that has just taken you and struck you? Something that you've had to wrestle with? Something that you've had to work through? I know as a, a missionary's kid, it can be one of those things like you you're taught very well and you believe yeah. what you're taught, but has there ever been, like, something really personal in theology that's hit you? Yeah, I think, so, part of it has to do with my testimony, right? Yeah. And so, growing up, in eighth, ninth grade, I transitioned to online school. Mm. Did terrible in online school, right? Um, struggled, failing a lot of classes. For me, self-image was a huge thing, right? Being a pastor's kid, missionary kid, felt like I needed to be perfect, right? So... I understood the gospel, but I wouldn't say that, like, I understood the gospel. I, I got it in my head, but not in my heart, right, is, yeah. I guess, how I would describe yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and so then my senior year of high school moved to the U.S., went to an American school, and they we went in to meet with the principal and the advisor, and they were like, we're going to wipe your slate clean. Mm. We're going to take all of your... We're, we're going to say that your fails, you're going to say that you never took those classes, right? And then you need to either take them again or, like, take something else to supplement them. And then we're going to take all of your, like, passes where, you like, you barely pass. We're just going to make them passes so they don't, like, affect your GPA, right? So you can continue further. Wow. I worked my tail off that year um, and, and ended up passing but and, and going to college. But I just remember walking out of that meeting with the principal and the um, advisor and, and suddenly the gospel just made sense to me. I went in with my crummy grade sheet, all yeah. of my failures, right? Like, I did not deserve, I thought I was going to have to repeat years of high school, right? I did not deserve to have my slate wiped clean like they did. And, and that, for me, was just such a real tangible, that's when I got the gospel. Like, it made a lot of sense to me. And, and before that, I was like, God, I can't do this, like, I've been trying on my own, failing on my own, like, yeah. I need you, right? And so that was just a very personal um, understanding of what 
grace and mercy looked like in my life practically. Yeah. Yeah, that it's wonderful when there is a tangible example, especially when it comes from a Christian, which I don't know if that's the case here, but it probably right. Yeah. Yeah. And when Christians show love and grace, it, it can be so impactful. I love that. Love that. So we've talked about Romania a little bit. Uh, it's, you know, obviously East European, former communist yep. country. Um, you brought uh, with us a Romanian, what would you call it, a bill, a note? Yeah, a so note. it's, yeah, a, a bank note. It's, <laughs> it's essentially one Romanian dollar. It's uh-huh. called a leu. So singular is leu, plural is lei. Um, so this is one, and it's the equivalent of 33 American cents, I think. About a third I, of a dollar. Yeah, about a third of a dollar. Yeah, I'd have to check and see what the exchange <laughs> what the rate is are. currently at. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so exchange rate's very normal to me. Um, it's very cool. It's plastic. Um, it's got oh, a wow. see. It's got a see-through part in it. Um, it's just. Very cool. It's always my like fun show and tell. Yeah, you know, because this is the Romanian money that I grew up with. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, fun fact: Romanian money. If you forget it in your pocket and wash it, it no melts. harm, no foul. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, oh, it's fine. It's cleaner than it was before. It's great because wow. it's plastic. It's, it's plastic. not paper. You know. That's nice. Although American dollars, I think, are pretty resistant to being wet. But yeah, they're big, sort of a cloth, so they tend to be okay. But. Yeah. Yeah. Any fun stories about uh, Romanian money or anything like that? Oh, about Romanian money. I don't know. There's. What was your favorite thing to buy in Romania? (laughs) Favorite thing to buy? (laughs) The hardest question. Well, okay. So I think with my grandpa, we used to go and get um, these things called coverage, which it's essentially a soft pretzel. Okay. Um, But they would make them and, and these little ladies would, would have stands with them yeah. on the way to school. And so oh, that's cool. we, would, we would walk to school every day, probably 15, 20 minute, half an hour walk somewhere yeah. in there, um, depending on how much you dilly-dallied. Um, and my grandpa would, would walk us when he would come to visit, and um, we would always stop and get Kovrig. And it was just it was funny always trying to hear my grandpa, who didn't speak Romanian, try and say Kovrig, because he wouldn't roll his R, so he would be like, Kovrig? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess that's that's something I I think of stopping and getting coverage yeah. with my grandpa. My grandpa in Romania, that's a great memory. Yeah, so I mean, you know, actually, I visited Romania in two thousand nine and just a summer mission trip. Yeah, and I remember a couple of things. Uh, it was I believe in the city of Fukasa, okay. um, which is northwest. I couldn't say exactly where it is on a map, but uh, they there was this little ice cream stall on the road. And it was just this wonderful soft serve ice cream. I'm sure it was made from goat's milk, and it was just so, it was delicious. And we would, you know, walk to the church and back where we were ministering, and uh, more often than not, stop by the ice cream stall. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was um, great. Yeah. And it was like fifty cents too in American dollars. So it's just like, um, yes, please, you know, I'll take two. <laughs> yeah, there was that, and then there was a little, like a pizza cafe. We'd go, and it's so. It's nice being in another culture. I can say that, like, sincerely. Um, I would love to do more of that. Yeah. yeah, it's it's different, and and it's hard to explain. It is. And you know? I was halting for words. Yeah, it's 
there's just something about that. And it's, yeah, it, yeah, it's hard to explain. Everything's different, right? And so, and, and the weirdest things will surprise you. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the interesting things about growing up as a third culture kid. My, my family and I, we will say, like, we'll see something and we'll be like, that's so American. Or that's so Romanian. <laughs> and so my sister will send me memes or send us all memes about, um, you know, you grew up in Romania if, you know, wow. there's a little lady smoking on the balcony. You yeah, know, like, yeah. and, and so, yeah, it's just funny. Interesting, interesting things. Um, yeah, that's a larger discussion about what makes a culture and... and yeah. That's that's part of what I studied in my undergrad, but yeah, it's the weirdest things will catch you off guard, and the weirdest things will seem very very familiar. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, the topic of culture is probably too broad for a polite conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's its that's its uh, own area of study. Yeah, yeah. Well, because um, I'm quite a fan of philosophy, and you sort of brought it up earlier, uh, I must ask: Have you adopted a meaning of life? A meaning of life. Yeah, I I mean, I think I would stand by what I said earlier. We used to have this catechism that we would go through, our parents would go through with us. Which is not typical in America anymore. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, and, and part of it was, if I remember correctly, the goal was if we made it through a certain number of, like, the questions and we'd get them right, mm. then Dad would buy us ice cream. Oh, there you go. And so, yeah. um, but some of those, you know, I think part of the point of doing that is, some of those things like stick through you, with you, right? Like um, the reason I know that Methuselah, who Methuselah was, was because of those questions. Um, but in there, it said, you know, the purpose of life is to glorify God. Why? Why did God create mankind to, to yeah. glorify Him? Right. Which is the Westminster uh, Confession, right? I think so. I don't. That's I don't, fine. I think that's right. Yeah. I I just remember that 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 was the answer. Yeah. Right. And. I think there is something, like, true about that, right? Mm -hmm. I think, um, like, the God creating us so that he could have more glory. You know, now, that may not be in the way that we think it is, you know? And, like, sometimes we ask questions about, you know, like, well, but, how, how does us doing terrible things bring glory to God, yeah, right? It's a tricky problem. Yeah and, yeah, and so, but I think, you know, when I look at... Life, I think, you know, that's that's the purpose of life is is to bring glory to God. I may not understand completely what that means, but I think I agree with that on like a fundamental level, right? Of like, yeah. what else could be the purpose of God? It, I mean, is it going to not bring glory to God? Is it just right. neutral, right? Like, right. I think, you know, you read the Bible about how all of creation, you know, glorifies God. You know the stars in heaven you know like scream his majesty yep. angels glorify him and and so why wouldn't that be our purpose as well i yeah. guess i'm glad you brought it back to the bible because i've actually found it's trickier than you might imagine to make the claim that the purpose of life is to glorify god but there are there are many there's a, there's ways to do it. Well, and it's coming from, yeah, it's coming from a Christian understanding, right? Like, if yeah. you go down the path of, like, atheism, then obviously you would not think that that's the purpose of life, you know? Um, but, but yeah, and I, I think that's broad enough to the point where, like, glorifying God can 
have many different like aspects. And so it's hard to get more specific than that. But part of the thing is I don't think that every single person is meant to do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. That's the nature of the church, you know, different parts all building towards the same thing. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's a good question and I don't think I have it completely figured out. Well, that's a Um, great start though. I mean, yeah, you have a creed. (laughs) It's more than what most people can say. So that's, yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, what about the church? Um, are you in a church here in Dallas? Yeah, so I am going to the church that my parents met in. Oh, wow. Not following in my parents' footsteps whatsoever. At all, yeah, no. Um, no, coming coming here, you know, COVID was rampant. And right. I had a lot of friends that moved here, talked to a lot of students that they're still looking at churches. Yes. Right? And one of the I, things yeah. that I really struggled with in my undergrad was I was – at a church, a church that I, my parents attended when I was there because I did my undergrad in, like, the big town outside of this suburb that I graduated high school from. So went to this church. It wasn't until I graduated from college that I actually became a member and started to get involved. And I, because I was like, well, I'm only going to be here for four years. Right. Like, why would I get, like, super involved in a church? Like, I'm just going to leave anyways. And it wasn't until afterwards that I was, like, super bummed out and felt like I had missed an opportunity of being involved in the church while I was there. And so I think that's part of the thing for me of, like, I don't, I kind of don't want to waste any time, you know. Um, I think it's great you you learned that lesson. That's something yeah. a lot of people have to go through. I know I had similar thoughts. You know, I was looking at a two- or three-year undergraduate stint in, in one spot, and I was like, well, you know, I'll find a church, but it's... Yeah, just kind of keep them at arm's length, but yeah. yeah. Well, and in, in with this church, so Trinity Presbyterian in Plano, no, it's a great church. A lot of the people know me from growing up, right? No solid teaching, very missionally minded, right? Supported my parents, prayed for me when I did missions overseas. Um, and, and so it was just instant community that I could plug into. And wow. I was spoiled. Not everyone can have that, you know, when moving to a completely different city. Um, it's a little far away, but, yeah, it's it's been great. And and during COVID, it was it was very great because it was even harder to, you know, get plugged in with a church and meet people at a church during yeah. COVID. And so started going there and have been going there all year long and am loving it. Yeah. Great. I'm looking forward to, like, COVID wrapping up and things going back to a yeah. little bit and, and the church going back to full force and everything that they do. Do you anticipate uh, being more involved in ministries of the church? Do you have any interests there? Yeah, I would like to. That's a conversation that we're, people are having right now mm-hmm. uh, because they know that I'm going to DTS. They know me. They know my parents, right? And so there's needs in the church that they right. are like, well, why would we not take advantage of this young seminarian that's here? Yeah. Um, yes, I, I would like to, to do some stuff in the church. I don't know if that's going to be right now or if it's going to be later on, you know, because we'll have to do an internship of some sort. Mm, that's true. And so, yeah, so we'll see. But I'm just trusting God that he will lead me and open the doors that need to be opened, you know. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So you mentioned overseas missions, uh, maybe the Middle East. Uh, you, you mentioned it in passing that maybe the Middle East is where you're looking at doing missions. Why is that precisely, and do you plan on church planting? What's the 
the goal there? Yeah, so it started my freshman year of college. We, I was involved with crew. They had a guy come talk about like the need for missions in the Middle East. And I just remember being struck by like, well, I'm, I'm not afraid. I'd, I'd be willing to go there. You know, like looking around, it seems like everybody else would be afraid. Um, and, I, and I think there was also something like, so this was 2000, like maybe 10 years after 9-11, you know, and, and there was like a fear of Muslims and Arab culture and everything. Yeah. And, and I, growing up overseas, I maybe I was just naive, but I, I didn't have that fear, right? And I think there's also something about like, loving your enemies, right? Like, I want to love people that, like, absolutely hate me. Um, I want to radically love them because that's what Christ did for us. And so, um, yeah, I I felt like that would be a good place to go. God just kind of put it on my heart. And so I have a huge passion for Muslim culture, Arab culture. um, and, And I feel like people don't want to go there. And so, and so, and th- and that's kind of where I'm at. Of like, I want to go to the people where, or to the places where people don't want to go, because I'm not afraid, and because of my intercultural experience, I can fit in, right? Like, I feel yeah. at home. I've been to the Middle East, and I felt right at home, which was weird. Yeah, you know? but that's great. I mean, yeah, if you have that, that's that's a gift. It really is, because there's a lot of people travel, freaks them out, being somewhere foreign. Yeah. So I think that's wonderful that you're one of those people. Um, it's inspiring, too. I mean, I, I've been thinking more about church planting, and there's certain aspects of traveling and, and such that, I mean, I don't even want to go out of the state, you know. Um, but at the same time, where there's a need, there's certainly a reason to go. And that's been close to home for me. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of the thing. You know, like, following Jesus requires sacrifice. Yeah, you know, we need to pick up our cry, our cross and follow him daily. And I think for different people that means different things, you know? Like when you look at the people that came to Jesus and were like, oh, "I want to follow you." And what must I do? You know, and Jesus is like, "Well, follow me. First, I need to bury my parents." Yeah. Right? You know, like, "Well, well, first, you know, like I need to do this." And I think like that's the point. Like he knew what every single person was not willing to give up. And right. so I think part of it is he may not call all of us the same thing, but everyone's required to like some sort of sacrifice. Like the fact that we're in seminary, spending at least four years of our lives studying here is a sacrifice. Oh yeah. And it's a sacrifice that I never realized and did not appreciate about pastors before I signed up to do it. Right now yeah. I'm like, you spent four years so you could become a <laughs> pastor? Man, like respect. Yeah. And and so I think that's part of it is like Sometimes people are like, oh, well, it's not that big of a sacrifice, you know, if I'm not moving overseas. And it's like, dude, maybe the sacrifice for you is going out of state. Maybe it's not going out of state. Maybe it's going, like, staying exactly where you're at, right? Like, maybe that's the sacrifice. Yeah. Um, And I think, yeah, I think it's not, that's not to say that following Christ is, is going to be miserable all that time. I think there's there's joy that comes in, yeah. in following Christ. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there is a level of sacrifice that a lot of times we don't think about in the church, right? And, and we just kind of gloss over of like, oh, well, everything will be fine. Everything will be wonderful. And it's like, no, not always. You know, people will sometimes hate you for the fact that you follow Christ, you know? Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I have one last question. Okay. But before I ask, I actually wanted to ask if 
you have any thoughts or questions that you want to pop in and talk about with me. Oh, big surprise. Yeah, I, I wish I could have prepared this. And it's fine if the answer is no, but I mean, this is, I love talking with people, so this is part of it. Yeah, I think, huh, okay, I feel like I kind of want to ask you a goal question. You're a very driven person, and, and so. So I've been told. I, I think goal question, a good goal question would be good. Um, what do you think will be the biggest obstacle for you in, um, like, just based off of you knowing yourself and life and your knowledge, what do you think is the biggest obstacle for you or might be the biggest obstacle for you in accomplishing what you feel like God has called you to do? Yeah. That's a super loaded question. It's so loaded, and it's a great question. <laughs> that is, that's a great podcast question. I should I should steal that one. I like deep questions, and yeah. I like asking well, me people. Too. And so, yeah. yeah, and it'll help me get to know you better. Sure, sure. Um, there's... Okay, so the cop-out here, I think it's the right answer. and It's not exactly a cop-out, because I think it's the right answer. I really think that the, the blind spots, the things that I don't know, are going to be the hardest obstacles. I think that I'm, I've actually anticipated several obstacles, and they're, they're coming true, and I'm having to deal with them. Um, but for the most part, I am working through them and figuring it out, and I believe I will overcome. Um, whether that's logical or not, there's several things that you know, I'm facing. Um, should I work in, in an institution, um, just a general public institution, uh, be that academia or you know, otherwise, that's a big question for me. And what does it mean to do that? That's a big question for me. And so I'm working through that. I'm, I'm fighting through what that means for me, what that means for my life. You know, where I'm called is maybe a big obstacle. Um, but it's, I, I guarantee there's something I don't see at all. I don't see it coming. There's some flaw in my thinking. Um, one question I, I sometimes ask, it's really open-ended, what is your view of morality? What's your view of morals? And I think that that could be something that, that bites me in the long term. It's like I don't have a philosophy of morals. I have a Christian philosophy. It's different. You know, there, there's following Christ. But um, anyways, so, yeah, man. Um, I know personally there's, I would admit to a weakness of actually being too um, lofty in future in my thoughts. So I think about, the progressions in culture and forget that, oh, wait, we're here right now sometimes. I'm like, okay, you know, we're going to move to this sort of thinking in 50 years. <laughs> Let me prepare for that, you know, because that, that's an exciting problem for me to, to work that out and, and think about what that means. But um, that doesn't have much application for today. And so and this also goes back to the conversation we had about levels of theology and, and levels of theologians because I – it's not necessarily a worry, but it's a thought. Maybe I should be in that professional or, you know, in that academic level of theology, but I care about the local church so much. You know, I have to draw the dots there. And if I'm, is it okay for me to just be in those levels, to dedicate myself to those higher levels if I'm not actually, like, 
putting a huge dedication into the local church, and I don't know. I don't know if it's okay. You know, on paper it is, because there's a trickle-down effect. I get to teach pastors. But as a Christian, I'm not so sure. Um, and not to say that I wouldn't do some work in the local church, but, I mean, some? Yeah. You know, anyone can do I do some right now, you know. I volunteer, and I work at a church, but... Um, yeah. It yeah. kind of seems like you're like a wholehearted, like give it everything you've got type of person. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, like it that's part of the question, right? Of right. like, is some okay is 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 a little bit in different areas good or is everything in one area better? Yeah. And that's I, a big part of my question. Yeah, and I I I don't I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Bummer. You don't know. I wish you knew. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone knows, though. Yeah, no, you know? that's fair. Like, and it's probably different for different people and, you know, the whole normal answer there. But, yeah, to get back to your question, I think ultimately that there's there's things I don't see, and that scares me. That really does. I, there's nothing I can do about it because I don't see them. Yeah. Um, it, it is a bit of a cop-out answer, but at the same time, I think that that's, that's the truth, you know. that, And it's probably true for everyone. We don't have the whole picture. But, anyways. It, but but part of it is, too, so that happened to me, mm-hmm. right? I just spent a year of ministry overseas in Eastern Europe. And the things that I thought were going to bite me were not what bit me. I was expecting there to yeah. be a lot of pressure externally, but the pressure came internally. Uh, and, and I did not see that. Blindsided me, got me. But I think one of the things that I did learn, right, and that's, Part of the joy of being a Christian, right, is that God is in control, right? Mm-hmm. And so because I didn't see it, just because I didn't see it didn't mean that it didn't work out in the way that God wanted it to. And yeah, looking sure. back, God worked it out better than I possibly could have planned it myself, you know? And so I think, yeah, it's scary that we don't know the future and what's going to happen. But part of it is trusting in God and yeah. as my Friends from Minnesota would say, just send it. Mm. You know? <laughs> what, a, what a fun phrase. Just, like, send just send it. <laughs> oh, man. I Images of uh, launching cars, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's good. And and the role of faith in the Christian's life, like, cannot be undermined enough. Like, it's just so, it's so important. It's so important. And I, I do like planning. Uh, I don't know that I'm a you know 100% dedicated sort of person, but I do like planning and sticking to the plan. Um, it, it's helpful for me, but it there, there is an element of, of faith in there somewhere, and it's kind of it's hard because they seem to be a tension, but they seem like two good things. Mm-hmm. Uh, just one of those tensions in the Christian life, I think, and there are many. So the last question, what would cause you what evidence could you see if anything to give it all up to say oops i was wrong ah that's a great question i think (sighs) that's a hard question because i'm torn right because there's a level of like well it's faith right so True faith. You would want to. You would want to be able to believe it, no matter what, right? Yeah. No matter what evidence was staring you in the face. 
But I also think that faith in the Bible and, and Christianity is not illogical. Yeah. Right? Like, I think there's a good, strong argument and evidence for the Christian faith, which is why I believe what I believe. Yeah. And I think it all boils down to the Bible for me. Right? I think the credibility of the Bible, probably the most credible book that we have as humanity. Yeah. Right? Um, for multiple reasons. I think if you could somehow prove that the Bible 100% is not true, then I don't know if I can believe. The thing is, I don't see that happening, right? Because you're arguing in history. You're arguing in things past, right? And so you would have to find, like, some new evidence, you know? Yeah. But even then, I don't know what evidence could show up that would just, like, completely knock out the credibility of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, yeah, so to some extent... Yes, like, if, if you could do that, hands down. Like, that was part of me, yeah. like, wrestling, part of coming. There's a balance between your parents' faith and your own faith, mm-hmm. right? And being a missionary kid, a pastor's kid, I had to go through a phase where I decided to really research Christianity on my own. And part of it came down to, is this book credible? Yeah. Right? And so, and I think it is. And I think that, yeah, if you could prove that the Bible was not true, then, yeah, that would that would really make me question things. Um, I also don't see that happening. Yeah, I relate to that. I think the Bible has been upheld in history as you know a, a unique, um, just a superior religious book is one way to say it. And it, it, we have it. <laughs> it's a, it's a wonderful thing. So, yeah, to if we if we did somehow discredit that in some serious way that'd be one of the legs of our religion taken out i think so yeah, i agree with you so thanks a lot david yeah. uh it's been an honor a pleasure it's been a lot of fun i've enjoyed this